Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living, um, is of course more than the physical exercise that so many um, connect it with. It is um, a way of recognizing the truth that there is one life that we live, one reality that is shared. And especially in these times, uh, we have an imperative to awaken to that truth, that we are not separate from one another. And awakening to this oneness of all life, of all creation, is the way for us to find peace, inner peace for ourselves, and uh, have a vision of global peace and how we can accomplish that. We've been having some conversations on the Yoga Hour about how um, reading and writing can contribute to awakening to this truth and help us remember who we are. And today, I am... I, I just couldn't be more delighted and honored um, that our guest is Khalid Husseini. He is um, both a physician and author of the best-selling novels The Kite Runner, A Thousand Splendid Suns, and The Mountains Echoed. And we're going to be talking about developing literacy of the heart, deeper quality of listening, discerning, and connecting heart to heart, soul to soul, and how our own, what we read and uh, what we write, um, how that can be a part of that um, process. If you are interested in finding out more about Khaled Husseini and his work, you can go to his website, which is K-H-A-L-E-D, 
H-O-S-S-E-I-N-I dot com. And I could spend more time, of course, talking about him besides being um, a physician and a world-renowned author. He, he is also uh, deeply involved in a foundation, a work um, that is touching the lives of refugees. And so, um, Dr. Husseini, uh, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Ah, good morning. I'm so uh, delighted that you're here, and um, as I mentioned, we've been, you and I have been in this conversation a while now about what it is to develop this quality uh, we have named literacy of the heart, the ability to pay attention in a much deeper way, and uh, to make those connections that can bring uh, peace in our lives, in our families, in our world. So before we dive into talking about that more, um, let's just uh, pause for what we call a yoga moment, a moment of peace, a moment of inner listening and connection. In this moment, just breathe and become aware of your breath. Breathing in, breathing out. Simply being awake, aware, present to the felt sensation of your breath. So many breaths each day, each hour, but they go naturally unnoticed. And when we stop for a moment to pay attention to our breath, it naturally draws our attention within. It naturally quiets the mind brings us into this present moment. So feel the breath coming in your nostrils, the coolness of it, filling the lungs and your abdomen expanding and the breath moving out again, warmer now. And as we breathe, in this moment... Let's imagine and feel everything, everyone and everything breathing with us, all life forms on this glorious planet breathing, each in their own way, this pulse of life. All the people everywhere breathing, their easy or labored breath. The flowers, the trees, breathing in the sunlight, the wind. The birds breathing. The whales breathing. The earth itself breathing. Feel your connection to all of that, to all of life and the 
awesome wonder of it all. That this life is expressing as you, as me, as each one of us in this great interconnected web. It's floating on the breath. And beneath the breath, become aware of the stillness that is the pause between the breath. Beyond change, beyond phenomena, beyond even individuality is this stillness in which all is one. Pure existence being without change, without motion. We'll sense that ground of being and the peace that pervades it. And let us consciously decide to bring that peace now into our day ahead of us, into the conversations that we are having with one another. And let us develop this literacy of the heart, a way to listen deeply, keep our heart open in the midst of change. It's wonderful to be uh, speaking with you again. I'm I'm so honored and delighted that you agreed to have several conversations with me about literature and about um, what we termed uh, literacy of the heart, um, developing uh, through our connection with literature through writing and reading a deeper quality of listening in our lives and in our uh, communal conversation. So it was nice having that conversation with you at Kepler's uh, Books in um, Palo Alto, speaking with you today. And of course, we have a, another time we'll be together at Book Passages in Corte Madera. Um, but it occurred to me as we were preparing to have this conversation that I, I never asked you what happened. You know, how did you, how did you move from being a physician, um, to writing your first novel, The Kite Runner, which, um, it seems to me, you know, as an outsider looking at it, you know, took off like a wild kite and just soared. Um, and it seems to have changed your life and, and, uh, the lives of many people, of course, who were touched by that book. So, um, you know, as a physician, uh, of course, you're you're a healer, and uh, and so it seemed to me that moving into literature was moving into uh, a different realm, a different way of healing. So, can you tell us, you know, how did that happen? That you ended up writing a book, and where did it take you? Well. Um Thanks again for uh, for speaking to me today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, I I 
wrote the Kite Runner largely as a way of satisfying a long-standing desire in myself to finally write a novel. My intention for it was uh, to finish it and put it in a package and then store it in my garage and tell myself I have now written a novel. <laughs> I really had no expectation for it. It it sprang forth from a short story that I had written back in 1999 following the a TV program I saw um, about the banning of kite flying in Afghanistan along with a whole slew of other things that the Taliban were imposing on the populace in Afghanistan at the time. This is the late 90s. And I sat down after watching that program deeply um, troubled, uh, saddened, uh, having grown up myself as a boy in Afghanistan and having flown kites in the winters, which is sort of a national pastime for boys and just a way of killing the day. And I sat down and I and I began uh, riffing on this idea of kite flying. And what I've learned in my career of writing is that stories have a wills of their own. And you rarely guide them. They rather guide you. And what came out instead of this um, sort of nostalgic piece about kite flying was this rather dark and uh, strange moral tale about friendship and betrayal and family and I didn't think it worked very well as a short, short story. I set it aside and then revisited it in March of 2001. In fact, Roya, my wife, uh, I found her reading it, and she loved it quite a lot. I reread it, and I, I thought it didn't work. But I thought there was in this short story the germ for a novel, which I had always been meaning to write. I had been writing for myself as a hobby all my life. It was sort of my first passion. And so I decided, you know, I think there's a novel in this thing, and I've never tried one, and and I I think I think I can do it. And so I set aside two two to three hours every morning. I woke up around 4:30 in the morning and wrote until about seven, basically expanding this short story in, into a novel. And then I went and saw my patients, and I, um, you know, was working full time as a physician at the time. And I, I would say within 15 months, by June of 2002, I had a uh, I had a manuscript uh, against mm-hmm. all odds. <laughs> so that's you, you know, I just I just want to interject, Holiday. It's just such a beautiful story, and um, you know, where uh, just for so many of our listeners are practitioners of uh, yoga and philosophy and practice, and and I, I just want to say that you have given such a beautiful example of what can happen with what we call karma yoga. Um, you know, when you're, when you're doing something, um, uh, as an, in a sense, as an offering, you know, as a, it comes from an imperative within you, and it's not, um, there's no attachment to the result. Um, and so that's what I'm hearing, you know, that is, is such a wonderful lesson for us that, you know, this, this work that, that just soared like a kite, you know, that, that became a million, uh, bestseller and, um, but it's, I love that you said it started out as something you did just to satisfy, in a sense, your own heart, just for yourself, and and you weren't looking uh, to become a famous author. Oh gosh, no. Um, <laughs> I um, I, I uh, the, the the characters in this short story, Amir and Hassan and and Baba and the others, were I felt were trapped in this tiny space. And they they needed to be let out 
venture out, and I thought I could do that. Um, I had no intention of doing anything with it. Um, I think there's inherent value in work, in um, in the endeavor itself. And I took such great joy in the act of getting up every morning and reimmersing myself in this in this world that was lovely and magical and terrible. Um, and to see where this story led me. Um, even when it was done, and by the time it was done, the world was a completely different place than when I began. Um, I began in March of 2001. Two-thirds of the way through the writing of this manuscript, the Twin Towers came down, and suddenly Afghanistan was on the front page, it was on the news everywhere. And I felt at that time a great um, sadness and, and a deep sense of uh, emotional um, wounding, which I think we felt on a national level, but was more complicated for me, not only because I was a citizen of this country and had lived here for a long time by that time, but also I knew that here was a battered country, Afghanistan, that was going to be battered some more. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps the, its path would change and it would head in a better direction as a result. But nevertheless, um, it was a moment of heavy-heartedness, I think, for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, I felt it would be particularly distasteful uh, to do anything with this book, although my wife, Roya, was really encouraging me at the time to finish the book and, in fact, to publish it, which had not even been a thought in my head when I began it. Um, But by the time the book was slowly done, I began to come around and see her point in that, looping back to what we're talking about today, literacy of the heart, I saw that every news story about Afghanistan focused on Osama bin Laden, on the Taliban, on the drug trade, 9-11, and so on and so forth. Well, surely there's a lot more to Afghanistan than that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thought my book could possibly present a different face of Afghanistan and allow people to immerse themselves in a different reality when they came to that country and to experience that culture, experience those people, their lives, their endeavors um, in a completely different way and, mm-hmm. and to feel connected to Afghanistan. And this was the argument that my wife, Roya, made. <laughs> and I'm glad I listened to her. <laughs> yeah, and, I, you know, of course, I, I think she was absolutely right. And, um, you know, it, it's beautiful that you, you know, allowed yourself to, to you know, I would call it the stream of grace, you know, uh, you know that the that the you know in a bigger picture from my point of view it's like the universe is the world is always trying to heal itself and uh you know it's just like the you know, for you as a physician, I, I'm sure that you observe that the body, you know, has that ability and it's always trying to heal itself. And so, you know, my, from my perspective, phys- physicians do what they can to help the body do what it knows how to do. 
And I think the same is true for our larger body, you know, the world. And, and it's always trying to heal itself and will find, you know, any channel that it can use to bring forth uh, light and hope and love and compassion. And um, that's what your writing, you know, has done for me. Um, you know, I, not knowing Afghanistan, um, hardly even knowing where it is on the map, um, and just getting whatever I got, you know, from the news, um, as you say, you know, Afghanistan was just dust and Taliban. And so to read your books, um, uh, peopled that landscape for me in a way that I will never forget and, you know, connected me heart to heart to these people and has me asking, you know, what is my responsibility, um, you know, as a global citizen. Um, so I think uh, that that literature has a way of, uh, if we're willing, you know, to look at it, it has a way of connecting us um, to people that, of course, we will never meet, but we get to meet, you know, in our heart of hearts. And um, we're going to take a little break right now. And when we get back, I, I want to come back to literature and to, to poetry. Um, you know, you, you start your, your, your last book, uh, your latest book, the, I won't say your last because I, I know there's more coming, but <laughs> your latest uh, and the mountains echoed with, uh, with a poem by uh, Rumi. Um, and so let's talk about that, why you did that and um, what it's about. Uh, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest today, Khalid Husseini, um, best-selling author um, in his latest book, And the Mountains Echoed. We're talking about literacy of the heart and how uh, writing and uh, reading uh, can help connect us, help us wake up and uh, nourish the soul. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I will be right back with you. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life. Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why, you can have things you don't even know you want, but not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors, The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. Metaphysical Rock 2, 
We demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Come back. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien. And today uh, we're having a conversation about literacy of the heart. And how, uh, reading literature, um, and writing it as well can change us in deep ways, help us open to, uh, a stronger connection with ourselves and with others. And I'm honored that our guest today is Khalid Husseini, the best-selling author of, uh, several books, The Kite Runner, uh, A Thousand Splendid Sons, and and the book and the mountains echoed and in this segment we're going to talk about um poetry we're going to talk about family um but be- and but before we go there Halid, i was thinking when we closed the last segment and we were just talking about it's kind of imperative that you felt um that led to the willingness to uh bring forth uh that book the kite runner which you had you had not written, you know, to be some public piece initially, how the times changed, and it even felt difficult to bring it forth. Um, and so I'm going to ask you uh, to read something in just a moment, but before we go there, I'm going to read a poem um, from my new book, The Moon Reminded Me, that is called Ishwara Pranidhan, and Ishwara Pranidhan is um, Sanskrit a phrase that means devotion to God, uh, and it and it can mean, of course, also surrendering the the false sense of ego identity. You know that that we're separate from this larger reality that we're here on our own. You know, doing our individual thing. When in actuality, we're deeply connected to everyone and everything. Uh, so this poem begins. The ocean does not argue with the rock. It goes where it will, telling the secret again, then again, to the slow-moving cliffs, prayers written in moss answered at dawn. Listen for the secret. 
be a jagged edge falling in love one salty kiss at a time. See yourself as the shore longing to dive in. See yourself as the wave returning home again. So as I was listening to your story, uh, thank you, Hallett, and thank you, and thank you for your um, wonderful um, review uh, words about this book. It has meant uh, a lot to me. But you know, as you were uh, telling your story about how the first novel came, um, I thought about this poem in the sense that. Um, the great ocean of inspiration, uh, moving in you. And, you know, and I was talking in the first segment about how, you know, we're often more connected than we know, you know. So here you are, uh, a physician in, uh, California, um, a man who came from Afghanistan, um, but had been here in California many, many years and just had this, you know, love for writing and doing it for yourself and yet um, from my perspective this greater life said okay you know here's an open vessel <laughs> let's let's bring some light there and uh, so that's so beautiful and to me it's so heartening and uh, you know I hope those who are listening today will take it as a prompt you know to be willing to just follow that stream, you know, of your own heart, your own dreams, um, and because it becomes then a channel for life, being able to do what it needs to do to bring forth some light in our planet. And um, you do that with your work, Holly, bringing forth this light of hope. And so if you're willing, I'd like to ask you to read something um, from The Mountains Echoed. I think uh, you have a passage perhaps that can help us connect um, to how hope is is woven through this tale. Yes. Yeah, so to set up the passage, um, it's about a, a a boy and his sister living in rural Afghanistan in a poor village. Um, they're uh, extremely close to each other, and one of the things they like to do is to go around and collect feathers that find that they find everywhere and put it in a box. And the father sells um, the little girl to a wealthy couple in Kabul in order to support the family. Um, and so this this bond between these two small human beings is, is ruptured. And so this passage that I'm reading is told from the viewpoint of the older brother who always felt responsible for his little sister and loved her very deeply. He opened the box. They were all there, his sister's feathers. Shed from roosters and ducks and pigeons, the peacock feather too. He tossed a yellow feather into the box. One day, he thought, hoped. His days in the village were were numbered. He knew this now. There was nothing left for him here. He had no home here. He would wait until winter passed and the spring thaw set in and he would rise one morning before dawn, and he would step out the door. He would choose a direction, and he would begin to walk. He'd walk as far from here as his feet would take him. And if one day, trekking across some vast open field, despair should take hold of him, 
he would stop in his tracks and shut his eyes, and he would think of the falcon feather his sister had found in the desert. He would picture the feather coming loose from the bird up in a cloud half a mile above the world, twirling and spinning in violent currents hurled by gusts of blustering wind across miles and miles of desert and mountains to finally land of all places and against all odds at the foot of that one boulder for his sister to find. And it would strike him with wonder then and hope too that such things happened and he would take heart and he would open his eyes and walk. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much. There's so so much that is given um, in that in that short passage, and of course in the book itself, where the tales are are woven one into another uh, in, in a way that stays with the reader. Uh, I think it, it, it changes us, you know, to read um, such a book. And the images are <laughs> the images are deep, you know, the feather, the idea of flight, being able to change our path in life, and of hope, and um, so many things are are contained in those images and the. The beautiful connection of Abdullah and his sister and, uh, the yearning that we have as a reader, you know, wanting them to find each other again. <laughs> so, you know, reading, I found, you know, reading your work connected me, you know, with my own yearning, you know, my own hope, um, for healing, uh, in the families, you know, in the characters, you know, in, in our world. And, um, so let me go back to, you know, I, I gave the teaser last, uh, segment of the program about how you, um, open, uh, and the mountains echoed with uh, the poem by Rumi that is familiar, but I want to read it and then we can talk a little bit about it and why you were inspired to start there with the book. Mm-hmm. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. So, why does the book start that way? Well, specifically on The Mountains Echoed, um, I think my editor and I chose this, um, I think, fairly well-known poem by Rumi because I I, I thought it was a fitting epigraph because it felt to me um, a kind of um, quiet evolution of the way I had approached the the notion of of good and evil in my previous books, where I think um, if you read either one of them, you know they were archetypal types, um, and the line between the two was much sharper. I, I think the moral landscape in and the mountains echoed as in real life is more complicated. Mm. And the, the the characters in this book uh, 
kind of live in that field beyond these notions of good and evil. And you can take any single character from this book. An argument could be made on both sides of the column. And at the end of the day, we are all kind of a a melange of all of those things. Mm, and I exactly. thought, uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be lovely to uh, set the story in that field free of these archetypes and allow these people to be the messy, flawed, complicated <laughs> human beings that we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so specifically for that book, it felt like this poem from Rumi kind of uh, captured what I was trying to do at least, to what extent it was successful is, is the reader's decision. But mm-hmm. it was certainly my, my intent to, to explore the characters in a, in a little bit more, I think, nuanced and um, more probing way than I had possibly. Um, yes, and and of course, and from my point of view, you you totally succeed, and you know even you had um, you told a little bit of the story of the little girl Pari who is sold, you know, by her father, and of course, just to hear that, you know, we think, how could a father do that? Um, but when you're reading the story, it, you you realize, you know, how much he loved the daughter and uh, what a sacrifice it was for him and the pull. I mean, there was a sense that, you know, if this that 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 is a real thing that happens in families in our world that if one child is not sacrificed one is going to die anyway because there's not enough food to go around and so that 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 is very real in the book that it doesn't come out of the father's greed but it comes out of actually the need of the family and that this this the history of children you know being uh just dying you know in the village because of the cold and the lack of food um and also uh the complication that you know her her life is though she has the richness of family um it is very poor in terms of resources available to her. So, in a sense, um, selling her also had the lure of the possibility of some better life for her, certainly more opportunities, which turn out to be true. But it leaves us with the ambiguous question, you know, well, was it really the best choice? Um, yeah, I mean, I, be- I, I have my intention with this book one of the things was was to make sure that your first impression of every character turned out to be wrong. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> you know, and and um, and secondly, to show that um, it goes sort of back to this issue of literacy of the heart, and that we think of a father selling his child, and and there's a part of us that wants to repel that notion. Um, but that's exactly the kind of terrible calculus that countless human beings have to make on this planet on a daily basis. And I think what what um, what art art can do, and I think literacy uh, literature rather is particularly, I think, good at doing this, is is to prop a ladder in front of us and allow us to climb over, you know what. Um, the, the the late great David Foster Wallace called the wall of self, mm-hmm. um, so that we we can we can read something and just climb out of this fortress that we all 
live in and take a look over the walls and see what's going on and see yeah. how how other people live and experience that for ourselves. Um, and in that process, um, hopefully something inside is illuminated. Hopefully you're transformed in some fashion, no matter how small. And um, hopefully you walk away with uh, a greater sense of empathy, of connectivity, a greater sense of understanding of yourself and the world that you occupy as a human being. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, I would say, you said empathy, which I think is exactly right. It's it, it's there, compassion, and, and perhaps... Um, a taste of, of forgiveness, you know, um, for ourselves and for other people. I love what you said about <laughs> making your, your goal to make sure that our first impression of, of the characters was wrong. And, um, y- you know, I, I did uh, experience it, uh, you know, in the book. The, the two brothers, of course, the one uh, that you think is, is righteous, you know, <laughs> turns out to be a coward. And, um, you know, I mean, there were such interesting twists in that way that, you know, for me, you you did such a massive, masterful job of showing the fullness of our humanity and the light of hope that comes when we can recognize that and um, and see how love and uh, forgiveness can um, prevail. Um, so, in a sense, like the feather uh, giving hope, we have this hope of of love and light. Um, a light of forgiveness, uh, light of empathy and compassion moving through. In, in, in your books, you know, family is a really central theme of, you know, what shapes us and where, um, where we learn about being a human being, you know, uh, for good or ill in the family, you know, where, where we learn that. So, um, tell me about, you know, how it is that family is so central to your work. Well, you have to. I have to give you a mini picture of what my life in Kabul was like, which was very, very rich in human connection. Um, at the time, you know, this is the 70s. There was no television. There was very little radio. Needless to say, there was no computers and social media and so on and so forth. So your primary mode of communication was through person-to-person contact. And very often it was with family. And it, it went well past immediate family. It's very hard for me to remember a dinner when we just sat with our parents, the kids and our parents, and just ate dinner. There was always somebody walking in or out through the door, sitting and joining us at dinner. Um, it was a revolving door of uncles and aunts and cousins and extended family. Um, so it was a very rich social life. Nobody called to say we're coming over, just showed up, and this was the way it was accepted. Um, you weren't, uh, you know, what we, what we, uh, what we dis- uh, de- define and describe as downtime or me time in this country. Um, you know, that feeling of relaxation that you get when, when you know, when, when you're alone. Um, we, we had that when we were together. 
Mm. Um, so the idea of family as this great web of connectivity between individuals um, brought them together, allowed them to make sense of who they were, how they fit in. Um, you were never in fear of being alone. You were never in fear. Uh, you always felt like you belonged to something bigger and more meaningful than yourself, that you had people who knew your, in your life, who knew your history, who knew who you were, who knew your background, your ancestors. And, and so it was so central to the way that you thought of yourself and the way you understood your life that inevitably, you know, if you're a writer and you sit down, uh, it informs the way you, you guide your stories. It informs the way you write. Um, mm -hmm. We write about things that matter to us, about things that have shaped us as individuals. And uh, the idea of family has been very central to my life. And therefore, every book I've written, sooner or later, somehow turns into a story about family. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Halid. And I want, I just want to say that, um, that in and of itself, I think in the West is a message of hope and healing to help, uh, help bring us back or recreate, um, a sense of connection and, uh, family. Um, of course, there are some that have that in this country, but <clears throat> a lot don't. You know, there is so much isolation and technology has um, contributed, you know, to the sense of isolation. You know, now you can see actually families sitting down for a meal with um, their iPhones and um, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a miracle to have a family sitting down for a meal together. Um, but to do that without any, uh, devices present is, is something else again. And I, I was recently reading, um, about how, uh, a family connection, connection to other human beings, social connection is such an integral part of our health and our well-being. And um, so I think it's a gift, you know, that you have lifted that up and shared that vision um, with us uh, in your in your books. Um, I think it's something we we need. Well, thank you. Um, but you know, I, I can't take any credit for anything. As I say, you're you're compelled to write about things that speak to you very deeply, and so. Um, this this notion of, of family has always spoken to me, um, but I you know I I agree with you. Um, we 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 live in this country increasingly insular lives um, as individuals. You know uh, you mentioned the, the devices and the cell phones and so on, but I think also uh, as a country, you know, we're <laughs> we're we're flanked by these two great oceans and. The flow and rhythm of our daily lives um, feel that removed. You know, they feel detached, isolated from those uh, of the world beyond our borders and on the other side of those oceans. And so, you know, to loop it back to the idea of literature, you know, we need it more than ever in this country. Mm. Um, 
uh, this this idea of togetherness, this idea that we are not isolated individuals, um, and that that when you read that so many people uh, in the United States haven't read a book in the past year, um, mm-hmm. that troubles me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it troubles me. Yeah, me too. And to see, um, you know, libraries struggling. <laughs> Um, you know, to me, a library is a temple <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a place, it's like a heart, uh, of the community where a child can go in, um, or an adult as well, but, but in particular, a child, you know, who's just entering, um, the world of, um, uh, literature in, in terms of letting the imagination soar, you know, and being able to go to other places and other times. And, you know, I, I hear stories and, you know, my own, you know, my own guru, um, you know, his entering into the world of yoga, which became his destiny, you know, came through going to the public library, um, and, you know, in the, in the 1940s and finding a book on yoga and then reading the autobiography of a yogi, the story of his teacher's uh, journey and and that made the connection for him which which you know just lit him on fire and had him you know hitchhike across America to go uh, in search of that so I know how much power uh, literature has and um, and, I, 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 yes, I want to echo what you say about libraries um, um, sorry to jump in, but um, it's, it's, it's they're they're exactly where this experience of sharing, of 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 connectivity happens. I mean, they're the ultimate egalitarian institution. You know, it's it's the place where you have this shared communal space where people can gather, not just for information education, um, but where you know people can can explore curiosity and free thought on ideas of social justice to places where people can can interact engage in you know in some kind of civil discourse and feel uh, connected to something outside of themselves and I, I think that decline of libraries in America is is a, is a regrettable development and uh, you know I'm, I'm encouraged um, when people promote libraries, when I see communities making libraries an essential part and promoting this idea of borrowing and sharing and, uh, um, um, you know, providing a, um, these physical artifacts by which uh, any readers across the world can communicate. Um, it's, it's, uh, they're magical places. Um, i I've always loved libraries. I was deprived of them in Afghanistan when I moved to France um, back in the mid-70s and, of course, in the United States and since the 80s. Um, there, was, there were some of my favorite places. Mm. Thank you. And Thank you for, for plugging <laughs> Yeah, I'm in love with libraries, uh, and probably you know could have taken a turn just to become a librarian um, out of love of books. And um, and I, I want to say also, I think that the physical reality of a book is also essential. Um, 
that, you know, I, I'm so glad we have ebooks, you know, because it's very convenient. You know, we can read, uh, you know, several books on a trip and we don't have to carry them along. But there's a very real difference in holding a book in your hand and turning the pages and, and entering that world. Um, so that, that you can't get from the ebook. And I even, I, I, my own experience bears this out, but I also read, um, some, some research that we simply don't retain uh, what we read electronically uh, in the same way that we do with a physical book because it has the proprioceptive element. We're touching it. We feel we remember where something was uh, in the geography of a physical book where there isn't, we don't have that. There's a flatness um, to an ebook, you know, that, so we don't have that um, sense of touching the page and, uh, you know, the, remembering where it was in the depth of the book, you know, the beginning or, or the end. Um, um, please. No, well, please just go ahead. I was going to say we're we're getting close to the end of our time, and I want to make sure to um, just give time for you to say whatever you would like about this literature and literacy of the heart. Well, no, I, I, um, um, you know, I just um, go with the flow of the conversation. I guess I, 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 I feel. Well, it's 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 important to say one thing, in that I, I feel that it has always always been important, and I think a indispensable part of the human experience to read and to be able to connect to the minds of those who came before us, our contemporaries, and it feels really urgent now. I think to have books in our homes, to have books in our lives. You know, we live in a time when we've seen the rise of these populist movements around the world that are largely uh, raised on a, a scaffolding of mistrust, of painting the, quote, other in a caricaturizing way, of speaking about uh, people who are come from another part of the world in reductive ways, um, which I find um, and I think is deeply, deeply harmful and irresponsible. Um, I think in these times especially, we need art um, because it's a, it's, 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 art is, is, is a way that we can come together, experience something uniquely human and not feel alone. Um, and feel connected to other members of our species and allows us to nourish our sense of community, allows us to uh, feel our deep and immutable ties to other members of our species. Art, especially I think literature, um, opens a door to us, to places that Really, nothing else can. It it touches you in your heart, in places that nothing else can, and it allows you, I think, to be quiet and listen mm-hmm. uh, when you read a book. It's a it's an exercise in listening. It's it's free of of debate. It's free of vitriol. It's free of 
I'm waiting for you to finish what you have to say so I can say my thing. <laughs> when you read a, when you read a good book, you know it's an act of listening. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean giving a chance that what you are listening to, what you are reading, what this other person is saying stands a chance to change in however big or small way your view of the world. Mm. That's what I mean by walking away from it, transformed Mm. if you have to listen. Mm. Thank you so much, um, Khaled, and thank you for uh, joining me on the Yoga Hour uh, today. And, you know, I I want to say, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more in terms of the urgency of the need for for literacy in general, um, literacy of the heart in particular. And, of course, it matters what we read. Um, and so we want to read um, something that that does have a light of hope in it, that does help us connect. And uh, I couldn't, um, can't pass up the opportunity to recommend all of the books by Dr. Husseini um, for the times we're living in to open the heart, to open our understanding and help us connect um, with uh, others in our world. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour, a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can find out more about CSE at csecenter.org. And for upcoming programs with me, uh, I have class coming up on Yoga Sutra and readings from the new poetry book, book please go to ellengraceobrien.com. And again, thank you, Dr. Husseini, for being with us. And if you would like to learn more about his work, visit halidhusseini.com. Thanks so much for joining us on the Yoga Hour today. Remember to keep your heart open. Read a good book. Let your inner light shine into the world. Share your peace and your joy with all you meet. Thanks again, Halid. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Ever notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, 
Looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose? Join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. It's been said that the way to build a peaceful world is one person at a time. Think about it. Haven't we all been in situations where one person's attitude, his or her state of mind and way of being, had a profound effect on everyone in the group? We may have seen times when the effect was negative, caused by gossip or backbiting. But we've all seen times where one person changed an environment in a positive way. By maintaining a friendly attitude of goodwill toward everyone, he or she gradually influenced more and more members of the group to do the same. Before long, the positive attitude became the norm. Peace began with one person. I look for opportunities to be that person. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 